42 years of age, that's all I am, that's right. Or add 19 years to that. All right, we're, we're looking forward to what God has for us in, in God's Word, and uh, thank you for singing happy birthday to me. Uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, help us uh, to know your Word, and even more so know you as we are in your Word, and we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Now, if you have your outline this morning, that's more than I had in the first service because somewhere I misplaced it and I was doing everything by memory. And as we uh, progressed, I realized as I got off on some tangent, there was no way we were going to look at both sides of the paper. So some of you are quick to turn to the other side. Uh, don't bother because we're not going to get to the other side. All right. Um, and if you have your Bibles, however, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I didn't put the text in the outline this morning. It's always good to bring your own Bible because uh, you can circle things, maybe write things in the margin, or just become more familiar with the book by spending more time in the book. So sometimes we'll put the text, the outline, sometimes not on purpose. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair in front of you or behind you or to the side of you, and that'll help you look at it as we look at the text. I was sharing it as we began in the first service that I was thinking back a number of years ago when my wife was hosting an event in which we were, I think it was probably something in the church or something in the neighborhood. We probably may have invited both. And, and the age bracket was between ages 20 and 40, which seems like a long time ago. So this is a kind of an older story. But as she was hosting this event, I don't know if it was a birthday party or it was just, just some time where people were trying to mix and we were trying to mix them. And as she prepared for this, she invited everyone to, to send her a picture, a baby picture of them. And as she collected the pictures, when people came in, she put on a poster board all the pictures with a number next to it. And then she gave everybody a piece of paper and something to write with. And the goal was to, and the, and the, and the challenge was to put the name of the person who is now an adult to the picture on the on the on the board that is a baby. And so as, as people are doing that throughout the evening, kind of trying to figure out eye color, hair color, only your hairdresser knows for sure, but anyway, trying to figure that all out. Uh, then the end of the evening came, and we, we read out the correct answers. Now, I'll, I don't remember a whole lot about what happened next. I don't know who specifically won, but I know that the winning number of correct answers was about 50%. People couldn't match the adult picture with the baby picture. Now, some of the pictures, they, they just could not resist the temptation of making comment. They, they looked at my picture and they said, Mike, you were pretty beautiful as a baby. What happened? <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting. We had uh, Allegra uh, Payne, who, was, uh, who sung some of uh, special music in the second service. She delivers baby. That's kind of her specialty as a nurse. And I, I made this statement in the first service that it's one thing to have a, a beautiful baby not turn into a very good-looking adult, uh, but, you know, the opposite is the other side. And sometimes there are, there are not-so-beautiful babies. In fact, if we were to be honest, there's some ugly babies that come out of the womb. And as I was saying that, people were going, oh, no, but Allegra going, yes. She was saying, there's some ugly babies that come out of the womb. But it's interesting. Sometimes ugly babies turn into what kind of people? Beautiful people. I mean, that's what you looked like when you came out. Man, you look, you're just so beautiful now or you're so handsome now. Now, that's true on a physical level is that sometimes people have different ways they turn out from where they became, how they started. But what's more important is not how you started physically and how you turned out, but how you started spiritually and turned out. 
or, or to put it more on a relational level, you know, some some people will, were pretty honorary as as children, and, and now they're the kindness, gracious people as adults. Now, if that is a journey that everyone goes on as far as in their maturation process, what, what do you become as you get older? Are you getting better as you get older? Or are you getting more bitter as you get older? What, what's the outcome? The Bible says that, that we, we can't control a whole lot how we look physically. Uh, the Bible says that, that bodily discipline profits a little bit. And so being in good physical shape is a, is a good thing to pursue. But godliness is a means of great gain. And so we can have a, an impact on how we really are on the inside that does radiate on the outside the closer we connect with the living God. Now, I was going to share both sides of that coin this morning, but we're really only going to look on one side of it. But the Apostle Paul, as he's going to the book of Ephesians, and if you remember the book of Ephesians, really divided in half. There's six chapters. The first three chapters is really more of a doctrinal section in which he's really pounding them with what God has done and getting them a, a clear picture of, of, you could call it soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation, Christology, which is the doctrine of salvation. You could say uh, theology, even the doctrine of God and the Trinitarian concept of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's speaking all kinds of things. He talks about the doctrine of sanctification, uh, justification. All those things are in that first three chapters. I didn't use those words as we went through the text already too much. But he's, he's building a case so that when he, he gets the very practical, specific things that we ought to do, he wants it to come from a, a sense of being overwhelmed with the grace and mercy of God that we are fully motivated to be the people God wants us to be because of all that God has done. So the section we're now in the book of Ephesians, he, he's saying, I, I want you again to look back so that you can look forward. And he was speaking to a group of people that were really culturally and historically far, far, far from God. In fact, they knew little about the true God uh, when Paul and some of his friends came and, and made, it, made a difference in their, in their city. And as he writes back to them about four years later, he, he is fully aware that some of them have some selective memory issues. They are forgetting some things they ought to remember. They, they're forgetting about what, what they were, and because they're forgetting what they were, they aren't, they aren't being now in the present what they should be. And so we pick up the account in Ephesians chapter 2, and it's life-changing if we, if we live in the now that God has prepared for us. If, if we're living in the, the now we have prepared for ourselves, we're, we're going we're gonna to miss out on God's plan lived out in its fullness. And it's life-changing when we remember where we were and now where we are with him. And let's look at where we were, or to put it this way, what was it like then, B.C., before Christ? And picking up the, te- the account in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, beginning with verse 11. He says, therefore, remember. And, of course, that's, that's the key I'm trying to say here. There's some things he wants you to remember. Uh, we all begin to struggle with memory the older we get. Would we say amen to that? All right. And that's, that's why we ought to work even harder at memory verses, okay? 
Uh, and it's all right if it's harder. It just, it just that means it'll just be more special because you had to put more time in. But there are some things we, we should not forget. And we should not forget certain things that God has done in our past. He says, therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh. And really, the word Gentile means non-Jew. You, you are not part of God's covenant people uh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. And so he he speaks to them as as groups of people. If you were in our fellowship center, fellowship hall this morning, you recognize there were some additional vacation Bible school sets up there. And there was this one wall separating one half of the room from the other room. And as, as I was getting something to drink, I was looking over that. It just was so strange to see this room divided in half. I said, where is everybody? Well, half of them were on the other side and you couldn't even see them. And it, there was a separation and. He says, I want you to understand, you, you, you once had this separation. There was the circumcised and the uncircumcised, and you were the uncircumcised. Well, what is circumcision? Well, without going into graphic details, it was God choosing to put a physical mark on a part of the male uh, body to demonstrate, hey, life begins with, with, with me, and I'm making my mark on you and your life and your life that's going to come from you. And this was a mark made by human hands, but it separated people who were connected to God and those who were not. But then he goes on, he says this. Verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ. Now, what I want to do and break it up this passage, just make some very simple observation, but then kind of add some um, perspective on what Paul is trying to say here. What was it like then? Then you were outside of Christ. In the King James, it says you were without Christ. But really the idea is, in contrast to people who are in Christ, you are outside of Christ. Now, initially when I read that passage, I thought, well, he's really saying there are people who are Christians and there are people who are non-Christians. But that is only, I think, on the surface here. Christ... Uh, as we think about the, the, the name of our Savior, um, we have the initial title, Lord, and then we have Jesus, and his last name is what? Well, yeah, you know not to answer that, but it's not Christ. That's another title, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ is the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. You are without the Messiah. And in the context of here, what he is saying here is that you really did not have a perspective on what history or time is all about. Because you didn't have a clue as to the one who was the promised one. Now, the word Christ or Messiah literally means anointed one. But you could also say he is the promised one. And being the promised one gave them a reference in in time, in history, that that time was linear, that there was a there was a point in which things were happening and there was a destiny. But in the Gentile world, as they looked at life, they looked at life often how we use a phrase. There's there's one thing we can learn about history is that history. Repeats itself, we've all heard that and, and if you break that down, in, at least in one way, 
that's a worldview thinking that all of history or all of time is simply cyclical. You know, things happen and then they happen again. Things happen and then they happen again. Things happen and then they happen again. The names change. The faces change. But it's really just the same. And what, for the Jewish people, they did not look at life that way. They, they recognized that, that God, it was, if you've heard this cliche before, it's not just history, it's his story. There, there's a purpose in life. There's a progression of life. Ma- life matters. Every life matters. Every moment in time is, is, a, is, a, is a gift of, from God. And, and there, is an, there is a ultimate Resolution of all that's been started in the in the timeline of history. But for the Gentiles, there was none of that. It was just which ruler would come to power and they'd have to endure that. And when would that kingdom fall and another kingdom would rise? And it was just just one thing after another. Now, let me just touch this down to us to think if we're to remember that it's not just a history lesson is that sometimes we fall back B.C. without Christ or outside of Christ, and, and we have a perspective on time that's not God's perspective on time. Sometimes when, when we go through periods of despair, depression, a sense of what, what, what's, what's the use, we, we might have people ask you know, the question, how's it been going for you? Well, it's... I guess it's going okay. It's, it's everything's the same. Well, how how has life been? Well, every day is like every other day. There, there's, I, I don't, there's nothing important happens on any any day of my life. It just it's just the same thing repeated over and over and over again. Now, there's a reason we say that because often in our life there there becomes a routine, correct? And, and then when our our freedoms, our ability to do certain things, the older we all get, okay, uh, is that there are some things we used to be able to do we can't do, or, or there's some things that we had the freedom to do we, we can't quite go down that path anymore, and, and we get in certain types of patterns where we feel like, why am I here? What, what's, what's the purpose? And God wants to understand that every moment of our life matters. That it's not just cyclical. It's not just the routine that whatever we do reflects on on who God is. And it, and it points to the future where God's going to culminate everything and, and how we live makes a mark. You know, what is it today? They're, they're talking about your carbon imprint. Is that what they talk about? Well, footprint, carbon footprint. Well, I'm not I'm not worried about my carbon footprint, but I am I am worried about my God footprint. Because. Every step I make, every attitude I have, every action I take leaves an imprint on people's lives and, it's, and it counts for eternity. Whether there's a lot of people seeing it or very few people seeing it, if I'm just faithful in the little things, God is impressed with that. See, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, it's a familiar passage, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Now, that makes absolutely no sense unless we believe that there's a purpose to history. There's a purpose to time that we are not outside of this promise of the Messiah, 
that has come the first time, but he's coming a second time. But we're in that. There's a purpose to our life. So. Is it important that we remember what happened back then? Yes. Then we were outside of a meaning to time, a meaning to history, a meaning to our history. Now we're in Christ. And the promise is, is our life and everything we do matters. Just a, a freebie here in Colossians chapter two, verse 11, it says that that what God does for us who were outside of of the covenant people of God, the, the people of Israel who are circumcised physically with the hands of men is that that when we come to relationship with Christ, we are circumcised in the heart. With the one who has no hands and did not need hands to circumcise our heart. It's a, it's a mark on the inside that we're a child of his. Goes on. You, then you were outside of Christ. And then let's look a little bit further. He says, verse uh, 12, the second part of that, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Now, the simple observation there is that we were excluded from God's people. We were aliens. Now, a number of years ago, my, my kid's favorite movie was this movie with two letters in it. It was E.T. And it was some being from outer space that visited this planet and had this endearing story to children. He's not talking about E.T. when he says that we, are we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. It's more like... You know, the, the challenge we're having now in our own community, well, you know, uh, nation, the illegal aliens in the United States. It, it's people who are here, but they they don't seem to belong. Now, I, I'm not going to solve the alien, illegal alien issue. I, I don't even know how to solve that. But but God solves the spiritual aliens. As far as being outside or not belonging to to, to God's people. I think we've all been in circumstances or in situations or environments where everyone else seemed to know each other. Everyone else seemed to connect it. Everyone else seemed to have their place or their their significance. And, and as we came in, we thought, well, what, what am I here for? I, I don't seem to be a person who belongs. And he says, I want you to understand that's not where you are now. That's where you were. But that's not how, who you are. Excluded from, from God's people. You know, you know, why did God in the past, in the midst of, as he brought, and we went through the book of Genesis, he began with Adam and Eve, and, and Adam and Eve rebelled against God. God graciously allowed them to, to, to continue to live outside of the Garden of Eden. The family began to arise and you had Cain and Abel, the first murder. And then and God continued to give grace and, and the time continued. And then it, then it came to the point of, of Genesis chapter 6 where, where all of a sudden God looked around and he said, Every, everywhere I look, there is evil. And God brought judgment upon this land. And everyone was wiped out except for Noah and his family. Well, it didn't take long for that to, to continue. And then God had to disperse the nations because they were looking so much to themselves, the Tower of Babel, that he just dispersed them. 
They want to live life apart from him. And so he said, I'm going to give them an object lesson of the difference between living with me and in me than living apart from me. And so he chose Abraham, not because Abraham was any more significant. In fact, it was probably less significant than anybody else. He said, I'm going to put my mark on these people who will be known as my people so that they'll be a light in the midst of the darkness in this world. And, and all people are to be drawn to them. They're my people. And, and so people in those days, when they came to know God, they would become proselytes of the Jewish nation. But what happened is what happens often in God's church is that we have a tendency to, to be so excited about being with God's people, we forget about the people who are not with God's people. We ought to be an outward-focused people. Remember the story of Jonah? Jonah is a, is a great story that's often told to children. It's a story of the big, what? Fish, the big fish. And, and what's known about that story is you have a prophet who decides to run from God. Uh, God says, okay, uh, you can run, but you cannot hide. Very good. Cannot hide. And so he uh, gets on this boat, runs, goes as far away from the place he's supposed to go, gets um, capsized into the into the sea. God take, creates this big fish. We don't know if it's a whale, but it's a big fish, swallows him up. God teaches him a lesson while he's three days in the, in the belly of this fish, and he throws him up, literally up on the shore, and now says, now do what I told you to do when you were in, in my land. And so he goes out there and preaches, and he preaches a very simple me- message, repent. Uh, actually, he just says, 40 days, you're going to get wiped out. And so what happens is God brings the greatest revival, really in the history of preaching, um, even greater than Billy Graham or Greg Laurie or whatever it might be, the whole nation repents. Now, you would think a preacher would just be totally excited about that, even though he knows God did it. Well, you know, but I was part of it. But he's not excited at all, is he? He has this pity party, and God comes up and says, what, what are you crying about? He says, well, you know, you, you know he, he talks about all, I won't go through his whining. But anyway, God says, look it. You're more concerned about this little bush I put up to, to, to give you a little shade in the midst of the heat. What about all those people who would have been destroyed, even some of them who weren't old enough to distinguish between the left hand and the right hand? And what raises up in, in, the, in the heart of Joseph, or is revealed in the heart of Joseph, the reason he didn't go to Nineveh, the primary reason was not because Nineveh was a... a a violent, vicious, torturous nation, which it was. But what he was overly fearful about is what God did. When they repented, God showed forgiveness and mercy. That's what Israel was always to do, was was not to simply hold on to its own culture, but to reach out and spread the message of God's love to everybody. And so what he what he tells those who were non-Jews, the Gentiles, look at you once had no sense of the destiny of time, what God was doing, no purpose in life. Now you have it. Secondly, you were excluded from God's people, but now you're included. And we're going to see that more graphically, at least textually next week. But but what what a great thing to remember. We once were far outside of belonging to God's family. But that's in the past. He goes on in the text and he says, being alien aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and he says, and strangers from the covenants of promise. Now, what's the idea here? 
He, he's simply saying, then you had no share of God's promises. No share of God's promises. I, I, was, I was remembering a, a while back, I, I read a, a survey of people in America, and they said, how many of you believe in a heaven and a hell? And the vast majority of people believe in heaven and a hell. And they asked them, um, do you think you're going to go to heaven? And the people in the survey would say, yes. And they said, what about your neighbor? I think they're going to hell. <laughs> you know, is that... They they thought that the promise of heaven applied to them, but it didn't apply to maybe their their friends and their some parts of their family. People want they want to be part of God's good promises, don't they? They they don't want to be part of some of the other promises of God's judging hand. There's often passages of scripture that will be used in services. Uh, particularly memorial services and funeral services for people that, that have no ability to take those words and apply them to themselves. You know, take Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And then later on it says, it says that uh, not only does he prepare a table before me in the presence of enemies, but yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no what? Evil. See, there's a promise in there for for God's people that the Lord is their shepherd. But for those who don't know God, they don't have that promise. The Lord is not their shepherd. And and when they face death, uh, there ought to be fear. Because the promise of protection is only for those who know him. And and when we think of other great promises in the New Testament, um, and God causes all things to work together for good. But there isn't a period there. It says, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so he's saying, as you think about life and you're wondering what to, what to have a foundation for for your life, he's saying, look it, you once did not have the promises of God. Now you have the promises of God. You can count on God coming through for you because you're part of his family. You're not on the outside looking in. You're not excluded. You have a share, a full share in God's promises. But in this text, again, he, again, urging them to look back at where they were. And sometimes when we look back at where we were, we're so excited about where we are now. And that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to put a, a backdrop of contrast. He says, having no hope. Now, when I first went through this, this outline, I, I said, then you had no hope. But then I began to think about that a little bit. I, I, I don't really think that's the point, the full point of that passage. Because I, I know a lot of people who have hope, and I wonder, why do you have so much hope? There's, there's not a lot of hope for you. Have you ever, uh, particularly if you're a sports fan, there are, in the spring of almost any any sport, you know, they say uh, that, that hope, spreads whatever okay because every team when they begin the season are hoping that they do what they win the pennant they make it to the world series they win the championship they all think this is the year you're a chicago cub fan they say it every year okay is that this is the year we're, we're going to actually make it to the world series there are a lot of people i know that are pretty optimistic in life they're basically personality types some people are very pessimistic and then some people are very optimistic you know what is hope hope is Basically, a, a confident expectation of the future. That, that good things are going to happen. 
Maybe not perfectly, but good things are going to happen. It's going to get better, right? Well, there are a number of people that, that have that. But just like the Chicago Cubs, it's not, it's not that they have no hope. They have a false hope. They're believing in something, maybe wholeheartedly and joyfully and enthusiastically, but it's not, it's not based on anything. They don't have the players to win. They don't, they don't have whatever it, it will take to, to win a championship. And so as we look back at, at, at their lives, some of them could think, yeah, I used to think things were going to turn out good. I, I, I really had a positive outlook in life. I, I was optimistic. And, and then I realized those things didn't happen that I, I, I so thought would happen. And, and we, we probably all, if we were in a small group, could write down, can you, you tell me some of the things you thought was going to happen when you were, were kind of growing up, that you had these expectations? And did any of your dreams, any of your dreams not come to pass? Would you anybody raise your hand? Did anybody have any dreams that didn't come to pass? Am I the only one here that doesn't have any dreams? I've always had great dreams, all right? Uh, you know, some of my dreams didn't happen. Okay, I thought they would. Okay, and some of the dreams that I thought would happen and I wanted to happen, I'm glad they didn't happen, okay? Um, but, but, but it's not a, ha- a matter of having no hope. It's a false hope. It's a, now, now you don't have a false hope. This is, this is true. This is true. Then finally, he goes and he says, and without God in the world. Now, I just took that right out of the text. You know, what are the thens? What is it like then? Then you were outside of Christ. Then you were excluded from God's people. Then you had no share of God in God's promises. Then you had false hope. Then you were without God. But even with that, I, I want to put a little spin on it a little bit. I mean, it, it's true in the text. But again, we need to understand it, this idea in its fullness. You, you could kind of tie that with the fourth point. Then you were then you had a false hope. They, they thought they had God. This was a very male, this was a pretty popular male religious group in Ephesus. I mean, they, they would go to the Temple of Diana, and the Temple of Diana, there was a big statue of this multi-breasted woman. And, and the, the officers in this particular religion were priestesses, and they were basically temple prostitutes. And the, the males would go there to worship in a physical way. Now, that was popular among the men. I'm not sure how popular that was among the women, right? But they were very religious. It wasn't that they had no God, but they didn't have the true God. It, it's interesting in the, in the original language there. It really, the, the phrase there says, atheos, from which we get the word atheists. They were atheists, and not in that they didn't believe in a God, and many of them believed in many gods, but they were false gods. And tying back to the theme, if you believe in a false god, then you are without God. Because there is only one God. And we don't spread the message of Christ everywhere because we think people aren't religious enough in America or around the world. Some people are not. There is a small percentage of people who try to suppress the truth and say there is no God. But most people believe in some kind of God or many gods, but they're without God because they don't know the true God. But he said, look, as you're going through life and you're wondering, 
how come I, I'm not seen to be progressing? And it's quite possible in Ephesus, as, as these people came to faith in Christ and they looked at their lives in comparison to others and saying, you know, I didn't get that promotion. I, when I came to Christ, I was a slave and I'm, I'm still a slave. Um, I was kind of below the poverty line when I came to know Jesus, and I'm still at that line. I, I had health issues before I became a Christian, and I still got health issues. And so as they were looking back then, they were saying, uh, what's changed? And he said, look at everything that's important has changed. Then you were outside of Christ. You had no sense of history. You had no sense of purpose. There's no sense of, of a plan for life. It's, now there's meaning. Then if, if, if you were trying to identify with the people who, who really knew God, you, you couldn't because the only people who really knew God about God were, were Jews. And they were circumcised. and You weren't. You were outside the covenant group of God's people. You're, you're, you now belong to a, to a people. Well, then you really had no share in God's promises. Those promises were for those who, who really knew God. And, and now you participate in that completely. Then you had really no reason to have an, a confident expectation of the future. Because you, you had a false hope. Then you were without God. And now, and now you know God. The true God. As Megan was sharing her testimony, I didn't know she was going to do that. As far as when she was 11 years age at Thousand Pines, I remember it was in Thousand Pines. It was after service, and um, you know, went up to her and just uh, asked her about where she was spiritually and would would she like to to know God in a personal way. And she she made that step to invite Christ into her life to be the Lord and Savior. You could say before then. And, and Megan, if you know Megan well, she's, she's always been a positive, fun person to be around. But that was then apart from a living relationship with God. But then she crossed over and entered into all that God offered her and planned for her by embracing the one who came for her. Let's pray. Father, uh, there are two types of people here this morning, and we're not talking about the circumcised and the uncircumcised unless we're talking about the heart. But we're talking about people who know Christ and those who don't. And Father, for those who might be here this morning that don't know you, might this be the day in which they, they truly admit their need and, and turn from their sin, that which keeps them apart from Christ. And that they believe that Jesus paid that penalty for their sins and rose again. And might today be the day in which they commit. Commit to follow Jesus, Lord and God and Savior. By simply asking Christ to do what he's offered to do. Pray a prayer like this and meet it in their heart. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart right now. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new person on the inside. I want to receive you as my Lord and my Savior. And Father, for, for us who've already made that step to cross the line, 
might we never forget where we were and rejoice in where we are and not be filled with despair, but, but true hope because we live in and through and for the one who made us and died for us. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this morning.